name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's often said that Jesus told parables to help people understand the truth. However, the parables of Jesus have a more prophetic purpose. They are disorienting and revolutionary. They challenge our inherited way of looking at the world and invite us or force us to uh, see a new vision of reality. This is true of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It was commonly believed in the ancient world, as it is commonly believed in our world, that wealth and success are signs of God's favor. Thus, the rich man, apparently a practicing Jew who recognized Abraham and who, and who Abraham called son, would be seen as enjoying the blessings that God bestowed upon the righteous. Conversely, <clears throat> it was commonly believed in the ancient world, as it is commonly believed in our world, that financial or physical destitution are signs of God's disfavor. Someone must have done something to deserve this. For example, when considering a man born blind, the disciples asked Jesus in John chapter 9, verse 2, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We also can remember Job's friends who insisted that Job was suffering, since Job was suffering, he must have done something wrong to bring the suffering upon himself. In response to his disciples, Jesus made it clear that misfortune is not always a consequence of a particular sin. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be revealed in him. However, Jesus did not teach that misfortune is never a consequence of sin. For example, in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, he healed a paralyzed man by saying, quote, your sins are forgiven, implying that there was, in that case, a connection between the affliction and sin. The point is that the image of God in every person presents an opportunity to love no matter what the cause of the affliction may be. Jesus healed a man whose blindness was not a result of his sin. He healed a paralyzed man whose affliction apparently was. We suffer for various reasons. Sometimes it is our fault, and sometimes it is not. But we certainly desire grace and mercy in either event. The parable reveals the kingdom of God. Our faith is challenged and sometimes undermined by the idea that the goal of life is to succeed in this world. The parable challenges this notion by presenting wealth and poverty through the lens of the kingdom of God. The parable presents a cursed success and a blessed failure. What happens if our main concern in life is only to get the best education, make the most money, and accumulate the most things? 
will miss the kingdom of God because our goal of temporal success will blind us to the image of God in the needs of people who may not serve the purpose of helping us towards our goals. We may become a cursed success. Conversely, what if life deals us a series of misfortunes which we may or may not have deserved? What if these misfortunes create within us a constant and prayerful dependence upon God? We may become a blessed failure. See our Lord on the cross. If we look at a person in need through the lens of this world, we will see an inconvenience, a problem to be fixed, or a charity that we can place on our resume. But if we look at a person in need through the lens of the kingdom, we will see the image of God and an opportunity to love. Love may not be productive. It may not fix anything. And it ought not ever to be placed on our resume. As Jesus said, quote, Do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But love is how we're called to respond to the image of God wherever we see it. For, as Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. The parable gives us an image of judgment after death. And this is the key to the parable's meaning. It tells us that the results shown in this life are temporary and can be deceiving. It tells us that the true nature of things will be revealed after this life, where, as Jesus said in a couple places, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The parable describes the rich man and Lazarus in what we call the intermediate state. This is the state of the soul after death and before the resurrection which will take place on the last day. The rich man was in Hades. This is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Sheol. The parable reveals Hades as the intermediate post-modem abode, living space of those who are separated from God. The Bible says that in the final judgment, Hades will become what the New Testament calls Gehenna, or hell, and what Revelation 20, verse 4 calls the lake of fire. Lazarus was in a place referred to as Abraham's bosom. This is a euphemism for paradise. As Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today, you will be with me in paradise. We know little about this place other than it is a good place, much preferable to Hades. And it is the place where the dead in Christ will abide until Christ comes to raise the dead and complete his new creation. And when he comes, we are told that he will bring those in paradise with him. We could say that in the post-mortem judgment, Lazarus was sent 
to paradise, and the rich man was sent to Hades. But this would miss a key element of judgment. That is, in this tradition, in this transition, I should say, from life to death, nothing really changed in the orientation of these two people. No matter what he may have professed with his lips in life, the rich man lived a life that was separated from God. He did not love God with all his heart and soul and mind through prayer and worship, and he did not love his neighbor as himself in action every day. In this life, physical pleasures and possessions served to obscure and hide the reality of the spiritual condition. Death was an unveiling, a revelation of the reality of the man's spiritual state. Lazarus lived his life in dependence upon God. Every day, most likely, he prayed for daily bread. And every day, God somehow provided for him, even if the rich man did not. In death, Lazarus' dependence upon God and connection to God was revealed, and his desire was fulfilled. The New Testament refers to the coming of Jesus as a, quote, revelation. The biblical word for revelation, or one of the biblical words that is used, is the word apocalypse, which means revealing or unveiling. When Jesus comes, or when we die and leave the realm of time and space, we will see more clearly. Things will be revealed. The nature of things will not change, but their true value and meaning will be uncovered and made known. So how do we apply this parable to our lives? In some of our classes recently, we've been talking about the, quote, apocalyptic nature of the current season of time. Things are being uncovered and revealed, both within our hearts and also in the world around us. We should pray that God will open our eyes to see more clearly what is being revealed to us, both in our hearts and in the world around us. In terms of the parable, this includes seeing the ways that comfort and affluence can pull us away from devotion to God and can blind us to the image of God in other people. And this includes praying that God will reveal to us whether we've erected any gates in our lives that separate us from the needs of the world around us. Currently, there's a great deal of anxiety about injustice and turmoil in various places. We can see it all, wherever it is, on TV or via Internet. The problem, when we see all these things by TV or Internet, is that we can't do anything about the injustice or whatever is wrong out there somewhere. All we can do is watch and be anxious but Lazarus was laid at the rich man's gate. The parable teaches us 
that our responsibility to love is always near us. We're called to love in the places where we can actually see the image of God in others and actually respond to that image in tangible and meaningful ways. And real love takes time and effort because real love is rooted in the building of relationships, not in quick fixes. The poverty of Lazarus and the poverty of the rich man were both relational. The rich man needed Lazarus to pull him out of his self-centered separation from God. Lazarus needed the rich man to be able to eat. They needed to form a new community of reciprocity. How do we develop a relationship with Lazarus? It is easy to give him five bucks and move on. It is harder to learn his or her name, to listen to his or her story, and then plan perhaps to meet again next week or next month. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus does not present us with any easy answers. It presents us with a challenge to our comfort and a constant invitation to love the image of God where we see it in need at our gate. As St. John taught us in today's epistle, quote, He who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.